Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, Smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the CBS Sports College Basketball YouTube channel. Also do that while you're here. Let's get into it. There's been some notable transfer announcements over the past few days. In order, they came off the board like this. On Monday, Trey Mitchell announced his transfer from West Virginia to Kentucky. On Tuesday, Jordan Brown announced his transfer from Louisiana to Memphis. On Wednesday, Grant Nelson Announced his transfer from North Dakota State to Alabama. Which one of these players is going to make the biggest positive impact at their new school? I'm going to ask Deadleg that next. But first, quick word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Matt Norlander, Trey Mitchell to Kentucky, Jordan Brown to Memphis, Grant Nelson to Alabama. Who matters most? Mm, I think Grant Nelson matters most. How about Jordan Brown, though? Jordan Brown, trivia time, class of 2018. I know you knew it. 2018. How about this? How about this? Jordan Brown, class of 2018, five-star prospect. That is the same class... You remember R.J. Barrett? Vaguely. Okay. R.J. Barrett was in that class. So was Zion. Yeah. They were about to start their fifth seasons in the Second NBA. NBA contract. <laughs> I know. They're, they're going to be in year five of their NBA career while Jordan Brown 
is playing in the American Athletic Conference for Penny Hardaway's Tigers. And listen, if if Jordan Brown, uh, who happens to be listening to this pod, seems unlikely, but anyone connected, we're not trying to rub it in, I'm sure anyone listening to that, okay. because Jordan Brown was, was once upon a time top 20 player in his class and on some level might have even had expectations of having uh, a one-and-done season, if not maybe a two-and-through. That's not how it happened. Jordan Brown started his career at Nevada with Eric Musselman, who we will who we will get to in just a short bit here, um, and then played uh, at Arizona for a season, then at Louisiana. Now he's heading to Memphis. Uh, I actually think that's going to be a significant addition for Memphis and increases the Tigers' bona fides heading into next season. That should be the best team in the American on the whole. Remember, you have the Big 12 re- for, uh, you know, restructuring the season, so you will not have Houston in that league anymore. Um, so I actually think his addition is is significant there. He was, uh, listen, I welcome all children of the 90s, and Jordan Brown was born in December of 99. I'd like to see that he's sticking around. So, yeah, well, again, we're going to have a few 25-year-olds yet again in college basketball this season. This is part of that COVID bonus year, and that is significant. Trey Mitchell, long expected. And finally, official, not long expected, but basically since he went into the portal, uh, highly rumored to be going to Kentucky, uh, that indeed wound up being the case there. Kentucky's actually managed to to settle itself a bit here. We did we did talk about the Cats a few shows ago and where Calipari was at that point. You know, only seven scholarships were taken up. Um, I think Mitchell is a good addition. Does he does he raise UK's floor? Probably so. Also, a well traveled a uh, a well traveled young man who began his career at UMass, then went to Texas and then spend some time at West Virginia, and now he will play for a fourth program and going to play for Calipari. But to me, it's Grant Nelson who's the most significant. And my understanding was, uh, now this was another one that had been long, like weeks upon weeks was the expectation that he'd be going there. Uh, Nelson, I think, had to firm up something uh, coursework-wise to just make sure that the the transfer to Alabama went seamlessly, and 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 that got done. And so he finally was able to uh, to commit uh, earnestly and officially on Wednesday. And and his addition is, I think, going to be pretty good. He shot sixty percent from two point range last season at North Dakota State. He's a six eleven, like true stretch four five, and uh, it, it, you know I'm not going to. We're in the middle of June or the end of June. I'm not going to get too in the weeds on this. But one of the reasons why Nelson was particularly coveted was uh, his catch and shoot numbers and his work off of screens from a synergy perspective were like among the best in the country among any transfer. So he actually has some really good projectables to the next level. Uh, Alabama beat out Arkansas to get Grant Nelson. And in doing so, I think really helped its roster situation. We talked earlier this week, GP, that Javon Quinterly has left the program there. They play very, very different positions. But uh, even if it was anticipated, good to know for the Tide fans that actually have a, uh, a guy coming aboard who will be expected to be a significant contributor. Nelson was one of the best mid-major players in the country. So for, for your question, I would order it like this. I think Nelson will wind up being the, the best of these three and the most impactful I'd go Jordan Brown, two, and then I would go Trey Mitchell at Kentucky, three overall. I would go slightly different order. I'd go Jordan Brown, one, then Grant Nelson, then Trey Mitchell. And, and just sort of the quick explanation for that order would be, you know, Trey Mitchell averaged 11.7 points, 5.5 rebounds, 1.8 assists last season at West Virginia. Um, I, I just think he's going to be surrounded by so many other super talented guys that – 
his impact will be his his roster impact is very important. It is why I, I took Kentucky from outside of the top 25 or or barely in the top 25 and one at like number 25 or 24 up to number 17 right now, because, you know, two weeks ago, they technically had zero notable experienced players on the roster. It was just the, the number one ranked recruiting class, bunch of freshmen and guys who'd never done anything. Uh, then they got Antonio Reeves back to school. That matters. And then they got Trey Mitchell enrolled. That matters. So now they'll start three five-star freshmen at Kentucky alongside two proven, experienced guys. Um, I, I, you know, Trey Mitchell is not Oscar Shibway, right? But but he was an important addition to this roster because he he fills a position of need and he's older and experienced. He's been through it. It means it means you'll be relying heavily in your starting lineup on three freshmen instead of maybe four. All right. So I think he matters, but I think statistically, I don't even know that it'll look like what it looked like last season at West Virginia. Maybe, but I'm not sure. Uh, Grant Nelson is the classic mid-major player transferring up to a power conference. Um, those numbers tend to come down when when players do that. I, I think he's a perfect fit there. We've talked for hours on this podcast about you know Nate Oates' commitment to style of play and taking roughly. 50% of your field goal attempts from from three. Well, to have a stretch big like this, um, you know, pl- plays right into that. Now, he did only shoot 26.9% from three, but like you said, the catch and shoot numbers were good. And at, at the very least, you got to guard him out to the, you got to go with him out to the three point line. And so that that's a good roster addition. It wasn't enough to make me put Alabama back in the top 25 and one because, you know, they're, they're going to be down five of their top six players from last season's team. Like it's a whole new group of guys. I won't be surprised if they're really good again. They um, have won two of the past three SEC regular season titles, but I, I will probably start them outside of the top 25 and one, at least based on the roster in place right now. Jordan Brown, he's going from mid-major league to mid-major league. You know, the American Athletic Conference um, is, as you know, losing Houston. Yeah. And um, is no longer – there was a time where we talked about the AAC as maybe – you know, top five or top six league in college basketball and or, or at least top seven. Definitely and I just, top seven. Definitely ahead. top seven. And I don't I don't know that it's going to be that in its in its newest form. So Jordan Brown, yeah, he, he put up massive numbers at Louisiana, 19.3 points, 8.6 rebounds, 1.2 blocks per game, won the Lou Henson Award, which goes annually to the top mid-major player. He's going to a league that if he could physically overwhelm that league, I think he can physically overwhelm most of the AAC. So I would assume he's going to be terrific at Memphis. And there is a scenario where Penny Hardaway, um, after really losing one player after another to the transfer portal, you could look up in two weeks or two months and you know Penny Hardaway might have a roster that looks like top 15 in the country. Right now they've got Caleb Mills on campus obviously started his career at Houston and then went to Florida State. Um, he's a proven commodity at this level. He was at one point the preseason AAC player of the year before he transferred from Houston. So they got him on campus. They got Jordan Brown on campus. 
And DeAndre Williams is trying to get an extra year of eligibility. He's got Don Jackson representing him. I don't know if that's going to work or not, but he is attempting. God bless this man, and, and I hope it happens. I hope it happens, too. He's a really good I know people get caught up on the age. This is on the man. And the age is like he will turn 27 years old in October. Okay, It's obviously unusual, but he's a great or at least really good. But I would lean towards he's a He's a really good college player. He's had time to master the craft now. He has that's, mastered that's the correct. craft of being a yes. college player. So you could have uh, you could have a and, and they're involved with Javon Quinterly. Now I don't know if they're going to get Javon Quinterly. Miami's reportedly involved. Kansas State's reportedly involved. Auburn's reportedly involved. Um, all of those schools have been wildly successful in the uh, transfer portal NIL era. So Memphis is up against it there. But like, let's just uh, play, uh, for the sake of the conversation, best case scenario for Memphis. That doesn't include Mikey Williams getting on campus because I don't, I don't think he's going to end up at Memphis. He's just he's facing multiple felony charges for allegedly firing a gun into a car filled with people. Yeah. And nobody said he didn't do it. He's pleaded not guilty, but nobody said, hey, you don't understand. Mikey didn't really fire that gun. And it does, the, the time frame doesn't feel like it's going to be settled or resolved in time for him to be on campus. I, I just don't see how Memphis can enroll him under these circumstances. So let's take him, set him to the side. They still got David Jones, a transfer from St. John's, who averaged like 13 points per game last season. So Memphis could theoretically, if everything goes right, and by right I mean they add Quinterly and they get DeAndre Williams eligible, starting lineup of Javon Quinterly, Caleb Mills, David Jones, DeAndre Williams, and Jordan Brown. Those players, on average – 24.2 years old. You said trivia time me, and if you would have trivia timed, I probably would have come in around 23.1. Yeah, so. 24.2. Quinterly turns 25 in November. Caleb Mill turns 23 20, yeah. in July. David Jones turns 22 in November. DeAndre Williams turns 27 in October. And Jordan Brown turns 24 in December. Would that be the oldest starting lineup be, in college basketball gotta be, ever? Gotta be, gotta be, gotta be, gotta be, gotta be. It has to be. That would, that would unquestionably, because remember, we had never had this situation before the dumbest pandemic of our lifetimes where the college athletes were given across the board the extra year of eligibility. And so because of that, you have a situation where even during the days when you had had, you know, uh, you know, the idea of a starting five that was all that was five seniors was not uncommon. And even if, if you throw in the occasional grad transfer, they still wouldn't have hit this age um, putting an entirely if, if that does come to pass putting an entirely new meaning to get old stale. No. <laughs> they are, they are the AARP carrying uh, program of college basketball. And purely from a coverage standpoint, I'd love to see it. I, I would genuinely love to see how a, how a team that is more than 24 years old <laughs> on average performs in the sport, you know, because you have so much uh, physical maturity, mental maturity, guys that have taken many roads to get to that point, uh, playing at a, a very prideful program like Memphis. We'll see if we get there. But if we do, um, I, I, on talent and experience alone, I, I think you'd have to put Memphis in the top 20, no matter what. If, if it gets to that point, because uh, we've seen how these teams that have these players that have extreme experience to the names uh, and this new era has, has mattered and certainly valued by the coaching staffs. Now you still got to, you got to gel and you got to, you know, there are still things that you got to do as a team to actually achieve those objectives, but damn, that'd be uh that would be something else if we get to that point. And it, it just shows you how much the sport has changed and perhaps how much Penny Hardaway's approach has changed. 
Game one, year two at Memphis, Penny Hardaway started five freshmen. Game one in, I don't even know what year this is, maybe year five or six, whatever it is. I'm going to say it's five, but keep going. He could start five guys, all of whom started their college careers somewhere else and who would average, the average age would be 24.2 years old. There is a scenario where the Memphis Grizzlies use lineups next season Mm -hmm. that are on average younger than lineups the Memphis Tigers use. Year six, by the way, for Penny. Year six, yeah. And that means that Jordan Brown and Penny Hardaway started their college careers at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) No, like, how about this? Quinterly. Quinterly is uh, just like Jordan Brown in the sense that he was in the five-star prospect in the class of 2018. Penny Hardaway used to recruit five-star prospects from the class that's about to graduate. And he still does, by the way, Mikey Williams. But having two five-star prospects from the class of 2018 in 2023, that feels almost impossible. Matt Ward in the chat says, great thing for Memphis is they don't need NIL because their team can all get Social Security, tip your waitresses. Here we go with all that. They're able to already withdraw from their 401ks. That's correct. And and listen, we don't advise that. Let that thing thing really build up, okay? But but nevertheless. Okay, how about this, GP? Mm Um. I saw this via Reddit on College Hoops Reddit yesterday. I actually think it's a pretty uh, intriguing question. So Grant Nelson picks Alabama over Arkansas. Those were his two finalists. I'm wondering, who would you rather be uh, since both these coaches took over? Nate Oates and Eric Musselman. I'll give you the stats here, and you just you just tell me. I think it's, a good, it's a good little thought experiment. Record-wise, Muss has won 66% of his games. He's 95 and 42. With a 41 and 30 league record. Nate Oates has won 69% of his games, 92 and 41, a little bit better, and is, uh, you know, seven and a half, eight games better in the league. He's 49 and 23 in the league since this. So, so Oates has him slightly on overall record and has him you know, by a little bit of a couple margin in SEC play. Conference titles, Must has none. Oates has two regular season titles and two SEC tournament titles. NCAA appearances, they each have three. There was no tournament in 2020. Um, but both were in their first years and really building stuff up. Muss has been seated third, fourth, and eighth. But Arkansas, as this podcast told you first, has made two Elite Eights and a Sweet 16 in that time. Alabama under Oates has a one, two, and six seed, two Sweet 16 runs, and a one and done showing. And then a little extra. How are they doing at getting guys into the NBA? Muss has. Six of them. Isaiah Joe, Moses Moody, Jalen Williams, and then this past year, three of them. Uh, Jordan Walsh, Nick Smith Jr., Anthony Black, Ricky Council, the fourth, just narrowly missed. But six from Arkansas. Um, Oates has had Herb Jones, uh, and he didn't recruit him, but he was he was the coach there, so he gets credit. He's had five. Herb Jones, Josh Primo, J.D. Davidson, Noah Clowney, and then Brandon Miller. It's a pretty tight race, and you can kind of make your case for either one of them. Oates has been better overall winning games. Must has had a little bit better NCAA tournament success. If you could be an Arkansas fan or an Alabama fan since the start of these guys coaching tenures, which one would you pick? Let me start by saying I think they're both great. Um, I'd like to have either one of them you know, coaching my program off the court issues at Alabama over the past year notwithstanding. I think they're two of the very best coaches in college basketball. Um, as you laid out the resume since taking these jobs, it's very close. I, I, I think the simplest way to, to put it is uh, Nate has been has had more regular season success. Muss has had more postseason success. 
but they've both been really, really effective, impactful, and 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 they're both accomplished. I, I think the determining factor here, and I don't mean to bring up old stuff. I'm not trying. We've we've talked about this enough, but I do think that Nate's reputation took a beating mm-hmm. over the past year because of the way he and his school handled the Brandon Miller situation. So there's some stuff there that just doesn't exist really with Muss or, or at all with Muss at, at Arkansas. And so I think I would lean toward Fayetteville a little more than Tuscaloosa, uh, but I, I don't feel strongly about it. And if you wanted to you know, argue the other side, you might get me to a point where I'm not in agreement with you. I think they're both terrific. I think if you're a fan of either school, you should be happy. Um, they both had incredible on-the-court success in different ways. I, I think the deciding factor here would probably be that one of them has had a a, 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 a real national controversy connected to his program, and the other one has not. Uh, that's yeah, I, I'd agree. I, I would agree with that. Um, and uh, yeah, both coaches are, are for different reasons. <clears throat> I guess uh, polarizing is not the right word. Uh, there are some. It's you know, Mus is not uh, <laughs> Mus is not afraid to take his shirt off and uh, and self promote from time to time. And I think there are some coaches in the industry that uh, there are plenty that like him, but there are some that are kind of like eh, maybe. It's oh yeah, like it rubs some people the wrong way. It does. How about this? But it yeah, doesn't. That, it's it, also it, out there as well. But it's a very very different thing. Than, yeah. Than Oaks, right. Yeah. These are two different things. Be very very yeah. clear. It's extremely extremely different. And and, and like all that stuff, I, I don't find much anything other than entertaining. Like I think he's a great I'm basketball with, coach who's also like entertaining. And how about this? If I were a fan of a school. I would like somebody like Eric Musselman coaching my team, running my program because he's um, he's full of energy. He's obviously very good, and whatever the promotion is, uh, self promotion or otherwise, I don't like. I don't even care. I just find it all entertaining. And if I were a fan, I'd be eating it up. Yeah, it's a very very close race for me uh, in terms of on the court stuff. Strictly here, I would narrowly take Arkansas only because there really is there is something really that, that pulls you in as a fan. When you get to that regional final and you are one game from the final four and it's just your team playing in a national window. Uh, he's done that twice. And then this past season made the surprise run to the sweet 16, including, you know, upsetting a one seed and doing so beating Kansas there, but it's really, really close. And uh, coincidentally enough, Grant Nelson wound up deciding between the two schools and decided to go with Oates and Alabama over Arkansas. Again, Bama's put in uh, five players into the pros under Oates, and Arkansas has gotten six under Musk. But just an intriguing one yeah. overall. And, uh, you know, both SEC programs, similar color schemes, guys that were hired at the same time. It's it's pretty intriguing. And, and Start, starts with an A. Both schools start both with an a. a. There you go. And since, uh, since those guys got there, they've each been operating like, you know, top four level programs in the SEC at worst. It is, uh, it is interesting to see. And they, uh, They'll be expected to be relevant once once again. Before we move on, um, real quick, I, I told I'm a believer in Kentucky now. Not necessarily that they're going back to the Final Four since for the first time since 2015, but um, my only concern with Kentucky was, man, you just can't. I don't think you can win in this era with you know nothing but freshmen. And there was a point in time two weeks ago where I, I know that there, I never believed John Calipari was going to wake up on the opening day of the season and be like, oh my God, I don't have any experienced players. Like I always assumed he would add something, but I do think the additions of the past couple of weeks are, are significant. Getting Antonio Reeves back when 
you know, there were reports that he was leaning towards leaving Kentucky, graduating from Illinois State and and becoming a grad transfer and going somewhere other than Kentucky to get him back after that was reported. That's big time. And then adding Trey Mitchell, big time. I, I got him in the top 20 now. I think 17th in the top 25 and one. Where are you at on Kentucky? You believer? Uh, still not there yet. And I'm probably never going to get there in the preseason, uh, because of the amount of youth on the team, they have upgraded the situation. Um, Calipari has rallied a bit here, which is nice to see. Going to have to prove it on the floor, but better than it was. Uh, I, 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 I did think about this in recent days in terms of, all right, is UK really building itself toward top 25 status? If you want to remain skeptical on that, I think that's entirely fair. Cause again, um, Cal's just going to trot out so many young dudes and we'll see. And, and oh, by the way, um, you've also got, you know, some, some injury uncertainty there uh, as well. I, you know, I wouldn't say top 20 yet, but um, the additions are important and we will see who else is still coming down the pike here. Um, fascinating big time year ahead for Kentucky and Calipari. Got is going to have to perform at a high level to keep the heat away from him. And I still think it's possible that if it doesn't click the way that it should possible, I'm not saying, you know, again, don't, uh, don't aggregate the saying that this is what my prediction is. I'm saying if Kentucky has another year in which it is a, a letdown season, certainly if you don't make the tournament, then there's going to have to be some significant changes there, but it doesn't appear to be trending that way. And if anything else, UK is interesting in most seasons and this roster has developed as it managed to, it's taken a long way to get there. And again, they're not done. I don't even know if Kentucky will fill up every scholarship GP, but um, way better now than it was a month ago. I mean, he, he is, he is definitely Cal and that staff have managed to change the temperature of the room in a way that I had some faith that would happen, but not no guarantee when we started the month of June. All right. One last thing, rank these teams. Okay. Kentucky as currently constructed, Alabama as currently constructed, Memphis without Mikey Williams, Mm -hmm. but with DeAndre Williams and for the for right now without Javon Quinter. Kentucky, Bama, Memphis. Uh, So Memphis, uh, if they don't get Quinterly, like the starting point guard might be uh, Jalen Young from Central Florida, which is he's he should be a backup point guard, but he might have to be the starting point guard. Uh, I'll let. Penny and Rich yeah. very figure that out. But you could have something like Jalen Young, Caleb Mills, David Jones, DeAndre Williams, Jordan Brown, something like that. I would go Memphis at the top of that list with oh, Quinterly wow. involved. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think I agree with you. If if they had Quinterly, Mills, go, Jones, go. Williams, Brown, I might, I might put that one even ahead of Kentucky. It's certainly on, on paper. It I, I that's a talented I roster with go. a bunch of experienced guys. You know, I think I'd go Memphis. I see Bama, they, but Bama brings back Sears. They got Estrada in. Nelson is involved. Ryland Griffin. Mm. I actually, I'll probably, I could flip-flop on this by the time I actually put out my preseason rankings in October. I would narrowly go Kentucky over Alabama, but that could mean that both of those teams are just hovering on the outside of my top 25 overall. Well, we'll see on that. I, uh, but that, that actually feels very, very close. I like Memphis in that scenario best. So for to answer your cue, Memphis, UK, Bama, I got to put them in an order. That's the order I'd go with right now. Yeah, I would go Kentucky, then Memphis, then Alabama. But if Memphis were to get DeAndre Williams eligible and add John Quinterly, yes, 
then I might lean toward putting Memphis ahead of Kentucky. Without Quinterly, behind Kentucky, with Quinterly, maybe ahead of Kentucky. Um, but with even without Quinterly, without Mikey Williams, but with DeAndre Williams, Caleb Mills, David Jones, Jordan Brown, I think that's I'd put that one ahead of, of Alabama. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. By the way, before we move on to the NCAA stuff, we'll show I've got a couple of comments here. Uh, Quinn says BYU might have had some older lineups. That's actually a good point. I, don't I know. thought about that. I thought about that because I was possible. thinking about this last night. And I you said, get, BYU you, get might rogue, you get a rogue dude or two that went on a mission. They're playing at 25. It's possible, but uh, average age of a starting five at 24, that's, that's pretty up there. I don't know. And then, uh, <laughs> apparently there's a plumbing company that's in our chat session says the 1940s teams had 26 year olds who had come back from world war two. That might be true actually. So maybe it's not the first time ever, but certainly in the, uh, in the modern era overall, by the way, there's a, there's a poll question up right now, which is uh, which team would you rather have the Bama or Arkansas since those, uh, since those who took over and at the end of the pod, I'll ask you for the results. Oh, don't let me forget. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. GPL, can I, can I take the reins here and uh, talk a couple updates that happened out of Indy this week? Yeah, of course. Division One Council met yesterday. What do we need to know from that? Okay, I actually think this is going to, I think this is potentially going to wind up as a pretty important week uh, in the history of college, college hoops. And the reason why is uh, more than anything, actually, I, I think I neglected to send this in the, the chat last night, um, but the council on Wednesday adopted the potential for men's college basketball to better govern itself and not have to walk in step with the rest of division one. According to the release, it says, uh, quote, oversight committees in basketball and football can propose and adopt rules changes for items under their purview. And if adopted by sports management committees, proposals would ultimately take effect only after they are reviewed by the council during a scheduled quarterly meeting. This is called a pilot program. So it applies to men's basketball, women's basketball and football. Basically, the three most popular division one sports are now on the table to regulate their sports more to their specific needs. It sounds obvious. People have been asking for it forever. It's finally now on the table. It's not yet there all the way, but this is a significant thing when it comes to matters of the college basketball calendar and how college basketball on the men's and women's sides wants to operate. So um, 
the the formal step that needed to be taken to allow this to be a thing was taken this week. And I think it could have significant impacts on the sport and its calendar moving forward. As an example, um, there was a change that happened in the recruiting calendar and there will be more. And I'll have more on this in the coming weeks. So we won't get too much in this now, but the council did approve a change to the recruiting calendar next year that will have a dead period. That's basically 14 days long because college coaches are already, you know, and people in, involved in college basketball in general, like the, the low level staffers that are barely getting paid to the, the, the richest D one coaches, the, the new way that college basketball is operating from a portal situation and transfers and all that and recruiting, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, it's just stretching people thin and um, extending the dead period actually gives them a, a point on the calendar where they can actually, you know, maybe put the phone down, go spend time with their families. Or, you know, if you're a young coach trying to break into the business, you can maybe, you know, spend time with your significant other, do it, do whatever you got to do. And the, the change to allow men's and women's college basketball to still legislate their sports and not say, okay, because we're going to do this doesn't mean that lacrosse has to do this or soccer or whatever, or vice versa. I think it's actually very significant because it will not be a, quote unquote, one size fits all model, which is appropriate. Also related to this GP is, and there was a lot of talk about this. I'm actually pleasantly surprised this wound, this wound up passing and it's going to be voted on for official change in October. The D1 council had a proposal to reduce notification of transfer window days from 60, which is just too long down to 30. Here's from the NCAA. Data from the past year indicate that most student athletes enter the transfer portal at the beginning of the transfer window. Gee, you say you don't you don't say. Now that the proposal has been formally introduced, respective oversight committees and the Division One Student Athletic Advisory Committee will gather additional feedback, offer potential amendments to the proposal over the summer. A final vote on the proposal will be considered by the council during its October meeting. So as it stood this past season, the portal opened, and I hated this, but the portal opened on the Monday after Selection Sunday, which just is bad business to me. No, there's never going to be a perfect situation. Some have suggested when your season ends, your 30-day window begins. If you play your last game on March 17th, then on March 18th, your guys can go in the portal, and there it is. Now, that's going to be a moving target for everyone because if you win, if you play in the national title game, you can't go into the portal until the Tuesday after the title game Um I certainly think that's better than what we have now. But if you want to say, all right, the portal is just going to open April 1 instead of the day after Selection Sunday, that's fine. Opponents of that idea will say, well, you know, some guys are going to know they're transferring for like three weeks. They're just going to sit around like, you know, that's also not great. You know, this guy's leaving. He's just kind of milling about your facility. There's no perfect solution to this, but you don't need 60 days. Scrunching it down certainly um, is, a, is a major, major upgrade there. Um there's also stuff about sports gambling. I'm going to get to in a second here, GP, but uh, any thoughts on, well, on any of that? Because I actually, I think this is refreshing that this is happening on this kind of timeline. I think in years past GP, this might've taken a year or two or three to actually get momentum if at all. But here we have tangible upgrades to the D one men's basketball model that actually could make the sport better from a year round perspective. Okay. I, I guess I'd say, I don't think it matters much like when the transfer portal opens mm -hmm. uh, because like, Coaches, it is literally their jobs to know who's available, who's not available. How often do you think coaches know somebody's going into the transfer portal before they actually even get into the transfer portal? Rare, but I do think a no, case I, I think it's I think it's common. Oh, okay. I, I, I'm talking more like 
it's rare that a coach will have a guy transfer and have a kind of be a blindside situation. Like, yeah, that's what I, I that's, yeah. that's my point is like, I, I think coaches, coaches commonly know who they're losing before it's in the portal and commonly yeah. know who's going to be available in the portal before they're in the portal. So like when it opens, I don't think it matters that much, but I will say I didn't love that it opened. When did it open last season? It, it literally, it, yeah. It's like, I don't like that's that. Not that. When that. That's not. We should not be having do, yeah. the portal fill up with nine hundred names. Because I, I do think suddenly you're in the most. And we talked about this when when it happened. You're in the most important part of your season if you are in the NCAA tournament, and your entire focus as a staff should be on the game you're about to play and the hypothetical game you might play next. All of your resources should be focused on that. And the truth is, if you're doing your job right, you might need to have somebody or even you as a head coach but also be focused on the transfer portal because there might be somebody available. Like, you know, you're you're Dan Hurley. You know you're losing or you you believe you're losing Jordan Hawkins, Adama Sonogo, Andre Jet, whatever. You know, you're going to have to replace these guys and probably out of the portal. Well, now the portal is open for three weeks and you're coaching basketball, trying to win a national championship. There are guys who had inferior seasons at other schools. Their seasons are actually over. All of their focus can be on the transfer portal, but yours can't because you're still trying to accomplish something. I don't like I don't like that. To some degree, you are at a disadvantage by playing deeper into the bracket than somebody who didn't even make the NCAA tournament as it pertains to the transfer portal. So if it were up to me, I would, I would open it late. Like I would even wait, let's go the the Friday after the national championship game, something like that. But but, I'm by me. I think that's actually better from a media perspective and and coverage, because if you've got a glut of transfers, you've actually got a really a a good boost for coverage. Um, And maybe, maybe if if the goal is to increase coverage and off season stories, let's make it the Monday after the national championship game so that we don't lose a bunch of, uh, you know, possible stories to a week to a weekend. Yeah. Right. So like, let's do it on the Monday after the title game. But, but, I guess I'd bottom line it by saying I don't care that much. I don't think it matters that much, but there is a better way to do it. Just because something doesn't matter that much doesn't mean there's not a better way to do it. And I think that would be a better way to do it. Yeah. And uh, chopping it from 60 to 30, I think is, is I, I, I banged that drum since the start of the 60 day window. I honestly didn't think they'd change it, but um, that's, that's a really, really good thing. Also, um, we talked last summer. Uh, John Calipari's uh, been speaking of banging drums. He's been banging this one for a, a while now. He wants to have teams to have the ability to play exhibitions in the summer that are, uh, you know, televised. You receive a gate um, and play a couple of uh, exhibition games. That's on hold now. I think if we flash back to last August, September, there was real optimism that this could get done in time to be voted in here, so that it could be allowed this year. That's not going to happen. Um, there is a split on this uh, between coaches, administrators, and student athletes. Um, so because of that, they're still going to discuss it, but it will not happen uh, this year. Uh, to a reminder on this, basically, uh, teams can play up to two exhibition contests or scrimmages or one tournament-style event that would be only two games. Um, and that could happen, and maybe these things could tweak, but that, the proposal was that you could do that in a year in which you don't go on an overseas trip. Okay. So what, uh, what's the argument against it? Well, here's what the, here's what the uh, report had. Um, 
All 32 D1 conferences were surveyed. 69% of men's college basketball players are in support of it. That's a pretty healthy number. 63% of women's D1 players are supportive of it. Coaches, how about this? <laughs> Gosh, split 47 uh, for, 47 against. I, I, I guess the remaining 6% uh, just had no opinion. Uh, 59% of women's coaches were against it. Uh, 60% of campus administrators were not supportive and 60% of faculty representatives were not supportive. Part of the rationale for the continued review was the other significant issues priorities currently under review by D1 membership. One of the additional concepts, and I'll answer your question, GP, but um, one of the additional concepts for summer competition that the women's working group would discuss was possible three-on-three competition, typically played with four players on a team and no on-court coaching. The rationale being that could help with skill development and also, by the way, create a pipeline. Three-on-three is now an Olympic sport. Uh, Fran Fraschella coaches the three-on-three team on the men's side uh, for Team USA. Um, The arguments against it, I think are based in some logistics when it comes to putting these events together, asking people to do that at a time of year. Like if you're going to do this and you're going to get a facility and you're going to, it involves more than just the coaches and the players getting together. There's actually logistics that you have to take care of on that end. And I think that is one concern with this. Um, Another might be this. I'm just trying to, pull from when I've heard from a few coaches on this uh, and over the last month, I really haven't talked to any coaches about this in, in this calendar year. Um, some injury concerns. I remember one coach told me this and listen, call it irrational. If you want, I wouldn't disagree with you. Um, players that are searching for any kind of like to this whole transfer notion and all this stuff, there are coaches that will deliberately and intentionally um, work their practices and their exhibitions and their scrimmages in such a way where they don't like coaches. A lot of them know, all right, I know my starting five. I know my sixth guy, my seventh guy, my eighth guy. And then after that, like I, I kind of have a good idea and they will try and hide that hand as long as they possibly can as to not tick off anyone on their roster to avoid the situations where a guy gets to November 6th and he wants to transfer already. And uh, I remember one coach specifically telling me, um, listen, we can do this kind of stuff that that could be awesome for the sport. I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but this this could potentially accelerate my uh, my roster uncertainty among some of my guys. And I'm not exactly looking to do that. It's a little bit illogical to me, but some coaches actually do think like that. I I think this is it would be a wonderful thing for the sport. If we look up on August 17th and you've got I'm just going to go completely hypothetical here. But if for whatever reason, Kentucky. Ohio State and just throw a curveball in there. Like even like a, a Richmond are, are involved in a, in, a, in a three team. Everyone plays each other once in a two game tournament, and it's and it's over a two day period. Like I just think it's a cool. It's and you, you get to see the freshmen coming in, the transfers. You see them in a competitive environment. I think it's a wonderful idea. No one's going to be obligated to do it, but this is a big point of contention for the NCAA for Dan, Dan Gavitt to increase summer basketball because even as the release says committee members plan to use a forward-looking perspective about how to best position college basketball for continued success in the ever-changing basketball ecosystem since an emphasis on summer competition currently exists at every level of the game last thing for me here gp to that point you know we've got summer recruiting starting next week i'll be at peach jam and that's that gets its own 
news cycle as it should. But there's nothing at the college level. We're about to get ready for NBA Summer League, which has grown and grown and grown, particularly in the past six, seven years. College basketball doesn't have something that's even a semi-equivalent to that. And I think for for the stakeholders of the game, having something outside of the summer recruiting cycle is important to, to remind people of, all right, who's coaching where, what players will matter. Because of the transfer portal, you have this roster turnover. This is a way to just remind the people that care to be reminded about this in August that they're doing this. I'd like to see it happen. It does feel like truly 50-50 at this point. And now we know... It won't happen until at least 24, but really it feels like 2025 might be the soonest something like this gets implemented, if at all. Okay. I asked you what's the rationale against it, what's the argument against it, and nothing you said is an actual reason to not allow schools to do this. It is, it is a reason, and I don't mean that like – I know, I, mean, I know. Just, I hear yeah, you. Yeah. It is – what you said are reasons that some coaches might not want to do it, which is fine. I don't care. But how about this? allow schools to do it and if you want to do it you can and if you don't want to do it you don't have to like we don't we don't outlaw uh uh, uh the zone in college basketball because some coaches don't want to play zone we just say hey if you want to play it you can play it but you don't have to up to you doesn't matter to us that that's what that would be my opinion on this like if john calipari wants to host summer exhibitions and go through all the logistical stuff that you got to do it and show his hand and blah, blah, blah. Let him do it. And if Nate Oates doesn't want to do it for whatever reasons, or Eric Musselman doesn't want to do it, or Rick Barnes doesn't want to do it for whatever reasons, then they don't have to do it. Who cares? I agree. And to this point, I I wonder if the legislation that got approved to allow men's D1 and women's D1 basketball to further legislate their own sports separately from the way that things have to tr- have traditionally needed to get passed at the D1 level and then the and then the board of governors if this ultimately allows D1 even if there's even if you know 40% of the membership at the D1 men's basketball level specifically says no if if enough people say yes eventually this passes but this did hit a little bit of a stall here and you've got input and it's fair to have it but you've got input from from faculty and you should have player input and that's there, the student athletes and, and administrators. So there's a lot of, a lot of people have a lot of opinions on whether this should happen or not. To me, it seems obvious we should allow it to happen, even if it's logistically different. I get that it can be done. It would be good for the sport. I think it should happen. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I know you got to get out of here. I did want to at least mention um, sports gambling has obviously taken over the sports universe. The NCAA did vote on this as well. I mean, we're currently, we've had the NFLs given season long suspensions to this. The NCAA in a refreshing move opted to reduce the penalties for college athletes who, who wind up betting on sports that are basically pro sports. You still, if you, you cannot wager on your own sport, you're at, at risk continually as you should be of loss of eligibility and, and season long bans, et cetera, et cetera. However, if uh, for all other wagering violations, like on professional sports, cumulative do- dollar value of the wagers will be taken into consideration. And so basically it breaks down to if you bet 200 or less on uh, the DraftKings app or whatever on, on an NBA game or, or an NFL game, um, you, there's no significant penalty. 201 to $500 is 10% of a season. So three games, essentially 501 to 800. It's 20% of a season. And then greater than $800 is loss of a 30% of a season's worth of eligibility. You have to go through rules and prevention education. And you, you could potentially face uh, stricter sanctions. But um, kind of an extra thing that was thrown in there, GP, on Wednesday, that 
I know a lot of people at the college athletics level are concerned about, but you know, sports wagering is is everywhere. And the idea that you are going to be able to stop division one athletes at all levels from doing it just isn't based in reality. So this at least seems more appropriate while at the same time, you are not allowed to gamble on the, the and nor should you be allowed. Let's be clear. You should not be allowed to, uh, to gamble on the sports that you are participating in. So a little bit more well-rounded legislation uh, came to the forefront with that yesterday. In the spirit of scentless vape pens. Oh, yes. Get your roommate. Set up an account. Oh, my God. Okay, here we go. Put his credit card on it. Your name, your social security number is not attached to it, whatever. Get the login. Gamble all you want. Right? Just don't be dumb enough to gamble under your own name. Do you realize if I went on, because I am technically an employee of an of a NBA franchise, if I were to gamble on an NBA game at DraftKings or FanDuel, it would flag me immediately because my social security number is in a database somewhere as an NBA employee. I, it was not even something like when you hear about these guys getting caught, it's not because somebody rats on them. It's because their social security numbers are in a database and they flag it the second you make a bet or there's something close to that. So, like, just don't be dumb. Work around it. If you, how about this? Don't gamble. As somebody who gambles, don't. It's you'll never win. There you go. All right. There so let you me go. Start there. Don't gamble because you can't win. Except for the eye on college basketball bracket games. That's yeah, the only thing. Gamble on that pitch. for sure. No, yeah. you can't win. You'll never win. I, I know a guy who runs a sports book. I asked him one time. I said, of of all your regular players, at the end of the year, how many of them are up? He's like, up. What do you mean up? I'm like, like they won money instead of lost money over a year. You know what he said? Zero. Nobody. <laughs> Literally nobody. <laughs> he said, like, guys have good weeks and good months and even good quarters. But over a year, I don't have a single player who is profitable over a year. So don't gamble. You will not win. You are just you, – you're unless you can rationalize it like this. I'm spending money to have fun tonight. I, I could have spent this money going to the movies or going to dinner yeah. or going to a play. Instead, I spent it – on a baseball game, all right. If you if you can rationalize it like that, have fun, knock yourself out. But um, you're not going to win gambling. Um, but 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 if you are going to gamble and you are a Division One athlete, just don't be stupid about it. Gamble under somebody else's name and social security number, somebody you can trust. Maybe your mom or your dad. We've seen the headlines on the NFL side. We'll see if some of those wind up coming to the college sports angle. We got to get out of here before we do. Nada. Alabama or Arkansas? What's the poll say? What what team or what fan of a team would uh, would our viewers on YouTube here prefer at this stage? They're 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 preferring Arkansas at a fifty eight percent clip. Uh, I was kind of surprised by this because I thought the regular season thing would mean a little bit more, but they're going mu- they're going shirtless Muss at fifty eight percent. We just gave Muss another reason to take off his shirt. When this when word of this gets back to Muss, his I, shirt I, is his I, shirt is off right now. That's actually probably true. Now what do I say? What if Muss is watching live and he just took his shirt off when he heard that fifty eight percent of voters prefer what he's doing at Arkansas? I think NBA MBPA Top One Hundred Camp is still happening today, and he very well is probably down there. So if he is watching live as he's taking in some action with his shirt off, well, that's a legendary move from Muss, and we appreciate it all the same. Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Huck, Larnell. Thank you guys once again for watching, listening to Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, rate it, review it. There's more of us than there are of them. Needs to be reflected in the comments. So go do that. I thank you in advance, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, 
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Okay. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.